0: Uh, with brothers and sisters, looking at the word of God and worshiping the, the one true King. And Ephesians is what we've been working through. And today we're gonna be in Ephesians 6, and it's gonna be talking about a relationship between slaves and masters. But I want to give a history as we've been walking through Ephesians, we've been talking about the unity that we have in Christ Jesus through through the Holy Spirit. And as Paul is walking through this letter to the church, He's continually directing their eyes, the church's eyes, to who you are in Christ and that you have a Holy Spirit who is with you always. He is your seal for eternity. He's encouraging them to put away, to put off the old sinful life and to to put on the new, the new creation we are in Jesus Christ. And then in the Spirit, we saw in Ephesians 5. Uh, 18, kind of to the end there, he, where it's called to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're to submit to one another in reverence for Jesus Christ, and reverence and fear and honor of Jesus Christ. We submit to one another. And from there, he goes on to talk about some relationships within the church and really within the household We're called to submit to to one another. And so we saw husbands and wives, we saw children and parents, and today we're going to look at slaves and masters. Because in this day, the slaves were within the household of their masters. So, what I want us to walk away with is that Jesus is the master of our souls, He is the master. That's what I want to walk away with today as we think about a unifying and being unified in the spirit. Some background before we continue to go in into this. Uh, We're going to look at the background of America and then what's really going on in, in Rome. First of all, we would say that the slavery that marks America's history, first of all, is not the slavery that's going on here in Rome. And the slavery in America's history, we, we would not condone. We do not support the slavery that's happened in America, church. So, uh, as we look, we see First Timothy and we'll do chapter one, as as Paul speaks to slavery here. If you could turn with me, I think you have it up on the screen. Chapter one, starting in, in verse nine. He writes, Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexual and moral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So here, enslavers. Enslavers. Uh, to be an enslaver is one who captures someone for the purpose of selling them. Right? You see what they're considered in this list of ungodly and, and sinners. So first of all, we, we do not support that. Uh, furthermore, we see in Genesis 1, 27, how we're created. We're image bearers of God. God said, let us make man in the man, image of us. Right. So as, as we think of all humanity, we're all made and we were created in the image of God. And we see that no one's above uh, someone else as far as they're standing before God. We see in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the equally playing field. It doesn't matter who you are, your, your race, where you were born, your, your education, your financial wealth, your social status, doesn't matter how good, how many good works you do, it doesn't matter, you still fall short of the glory of God. But the joy we see is in John 3:16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is for all peoples. Whoever believes And Jesus Christ shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is is the joy of the gospel of of Jesus Christ. This is the unifying factor. Jesus died for all. Who we are is no longer determined by the, the earthly measures we see here in this life, but it's determined by the blood of Christ. That's what our identity is determined by who we are in Jesus Christ. We don't come to Jesus by our own accord, but Jesus comes to us and pulls us up. And he's the one that gives us the righteousness of God. It's not by our own means. That's why we praise Jesus every Sunday. And every day of our lives. Furthermore, thinking of of this slavery, we see Paul talking to Philemon and Philemon 1 in verses 15 through 16. So here we see Philemon has, he's a slave, or uh, Anissimus, Anesimus is a slave. He's run away. And now Paul is sending him back to his master. And as he's coming back, Paul says, Receive, receive him, not just as a slave, but more than a slave, or above a slave. He is your brother in Jesus Christ. Man, we are brothers and sisters. And we can go on and look at Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? We have just heard the command, what are the greatest commands? It is to love your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then right after this is, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you see the story, a priest, someone is beaten and left for dead. And a priest walks by without helping A Levite who serves the Lord walks by without helping. But a Samaritan, someone with mixed blood that's not highly revered in this society, comes and shows pity on this man. It provides housing and provides for all his needs. And he goes beyond that. He says, whatever needs he has that I have not paid for thus far, I will come back and pay in the future. And that's what it means to to love your neighbor We're called to love our neighbor, all all peoples. And then I would continue on in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20. We see that we are new creations in Christ and we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. So we are supposed to be a representative of Christ to all peoples. We are the voice uh, of Jesus Christ to all peoples. That is... I would say this is not the love or the care that's been destra- demonstrated in the past in, in America's history. So that's, that's not what we're talking about today. But man, we know as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to love one another for we're all created in, in the image of God and salvation is for all peoples. Now, as we continue back further in history and if we look at the time of Rome and what's going on in this context, Rome has, has conquered a lot of the world at this, this time. They have a large territory. Asia is a part of that ter- territory. If the city of Ephesus is in within Asia. And in Rome, it's estimated up to a third to half of the population were considered slaves. So even in Ephesus, we're looking, or in Rome, I meant Italy. In Italy, a third to half are considered slaves. So in Ephesus, we're looking at about a third of the whole population being slaves at this time. And how people entered slavery, they may have defaulted on a debt they couldn't pay. They may not be able to to support themselves financially, so they sell themselves uh, into slavery. Uh, It's possible they got convicted of a crime And they're put into slavery. Uh, They could have been born into slavery. They could have been captured by war. So there's a variety of ways of entering slavery. And their responsibilities would vary as well. They could have been working in gangs uh, amongst the fields and amongst the mines or or doing construction sites. Uh, They could have been um, a civil servant serving within the home or serving the city in, in some kind of way. They could have been treasurers uh, as well. They could have been overseeing their whole master's household. So their responsibilities varied throughout, from menial to great responsibility. And then they also lived in the same household as, as their master. Their master oversaw everything for them, provided everything unto them. And often these slaves would come underneath the worship of the head of the household as well and worship as their master. So we see here that to to be a slave is to be completely responsible and dependent upon someone else. That's what we see to be a slavery. But what was also unique in Rome is that they could eventually no longer be completely responsible and dependent upon someone else. Often in the empire, you could purchase your own freedom, which means you were able to make money even as a slave. Sometimes slaves owned slaves. You could buy your freedom. You were able to get out. And also, your masters would also free their slaves upon their death, on their will. They would free them. Or maybe in their lifetime, for some reason, they would, they would free them. So it was not uncommon for slaves to be set free in the time of Rome in this empire. So hopefully all this is helpful as we dive into the context and to the passage today, let's let's read the passage. Bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters or masters of the flesh with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants or slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there. Is no partiality with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, give us eyes to understand, Father, to to what's going on in, in this passage. Father, help us to grow and mature into the likeness of Christ, Father, that we would serve Him all of our days. For You alone are worthy. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, first of all, Jesus, master uh, of our souls. So he, he starts off here, slaves. And he says, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart. And then he goes on to say, As you would Christ. All right, so with fear and trembling. This fear, it's the same fear that we saw in Ephesians 5, verse 21 where he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ or fear for Christ. This same fear of honor that we have for Christ that we come before Him, we recognize His authority over us. It's the same fear that slaves were called to fear their masters. And that's that's hard for me when I think about that. I have no problem showing fear to a perfect and holy God, who's over me, but to an imperfect master, one who is with sin, is not always looking out for for my best interests or want what is holy and right. That's hard, but this is the call: obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. And he goes on to say, with a sincere heart. So this word of sincere, uh, it comes from a Latin word, which means sin, which is without, and ser, which means wax. Right? So in, there would be days when they would make pottery, and you were going to go uh, buy a pot, and then the, sometimes it wouldn't be completely whole, and they would use some wax to, to fill in the holes. Right? So the only way you knew that there wasn't wax is if you held it up to the light and then the light would shine differently through the pot and a little bit lighter through the wax. So eventually over time they started saying marking their, their, um, their work by saying sincere without wax. So it's this idea of being pure. It's holy. So it's this obedience that you're called to is called with a pure heart. Not mixed emotions or Nick's desires you're you're serving with purity and he really raises the bar here as you would christ that's how we're called to serve how the master the slaves were called to serve their masters they're serving as they would christ with fear and trembling and with purity in their hearts and then he goes on to say not only by the way of eye service as people pleasers but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So again, the slaves were not there to obey and they're not to just obey when it's convenient, (laughs) right? When the master is looking at them, when it's easy to to please their eye. This is is when we serve our master is when he's watching me because that's when I'll please him. That's when he knows I'm doing a good work. But Paul elevates it. No, you... You serve as if you're serving unto God. And more than that, you're serving as if you're doing the will of God. You're serving to glorify God. That's that's why the slaves were serving. So Paul is elevating their eyes, their gaze of just not serving and obeying for an earthly sense, for an earthly reward, for what's going on around them. But he's elevating their eyes of no you serve as unto Christ, as to the Lord. And he said, he calls them slaves of Christ. Do we not know that we are slaves of Christ? This is who we are. We were wretched. We were worthless. We were in a great debt. We defaulted. We sinned. We disobeyed a perfect and holy God. And the payment is our life. The consequences are the full wrath of God. It's death. But Jesus, in His great kindness, in His great love, leaves His throne in heaven, takes on flesh, becomes a man, fully God, fully man, In humility. And he leads a life proclaiming who God is, living out, showing them this is how you live, and this is how you live to serve God, how to do the will of the Father. He makes known the Father. He lives a perfect life, he never sins, he never disobeys God. And then he dies on a cross. He bears the full wrath of God. Now, I, I think of this on the cross. I read this this week. They had to create a new word because there was no word to explain and articulate the pain that someone felt when they were crucified on a cross. That word that they made is called excruciating. This concept that we have of excruciating pain comes from the cross. So not only is Jesus bearing this Full pain on the cross. He's bearing the full wrath of God on top of that. And then he dies the death he doesn't deserve. But he is God because three days later he rose from the grave, victorious. He defeats sin. And then he's elevated back at the right hand of the Father on the throne forever and ever. And we have been bought, church. We have been bought by the blood of Christ. It is a great payment that Jesus made on our behalf. And we are not our own. We are Jesus Christ. We are slaves to Jesus Christ. And that's so much better than being a slave to sin and death and wrath of God to be a slave to Satan. Hey, let's, let's rejoice in that. Amen. And this is His motivation for the slaves. Giving them an eternal perspective. Don't work anymore as, as unto just your Master, but work as unto Christ. Because you are a slave to Christ. Therefore, work with a sincere heart, with trembling and fear, and doing the will of God. And then he continues, rendering your service with a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. So again, this idea of goodwill, this is with kindness. So you're laboring, you're providing your service with a kindness. And it's unto God, not to man. And what a, what a good word for, for these slaves at the time. The hope is is that one day that they could get their freedom, and likely they are going to get their freedom. But until that time, they're to labor well unto Christ and to submit to the authority that is over them at this time. And then he continues that Jesus is more than just the master of their souls, right? You see the earthly master and then the heavenly master, the master of your souls. Jesus is also the master of reward. In verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. Man, this is great. God rewards. Jesus rewards. And we see any, whatever good anyone does. and Jesus sees all things. Right? Like your earthly master, he would, only see, he would only see occasionally, but Jesus would see always. So whatever good is done, whether anyone sees or not, God sees. And he says, Jesus says, there will be a reward for those that have done good. And it doesn't matter your status, whether you're a slave or a freed man. It's for all people. And i also like to point out, there's no timeline given here of when, when this reward comes. I know as, as we think in, in our day and context, you just order something and it'll show up at your door two days later. <laughs> it's easy. I'm hungry. Let me go to a restaurant. Five, ten minutes, I got a meal. right? I don't have to go, go out in the garden, work and till and plant and wait for the crop to come, for the harvest. I don't have to, to go and find a cow and kill it and clean it and prepare it and cook it, right? There's, there's a quickness that we have here. We like things to come fast. It's hard for us to wait. You want to know an answer to a question uh, that you have no idea, you just pull out your phone and look it up, right? Like this, But there's no timeline here of when the reward will come. And this reward, it might be an earthly reward, I think God does give us earthly rewards, and He blesses us and provides for us here on earth. But let's let's not long for, and let's not just seek earthly rewards from our God. Let's not do good things so that we'll get just an earthly reward. Man, I I want to elevate that. Let's let's do good. No, there's going to be an eternal reward. There is an eternal reward that comes in the new heavens and new earth. That's that's what I long for. Whatever reward is here, it might come and pass. But there are rewards that are eternal that come from Jesus. And I would argue, yeah. Let's, let's continue on. Jesus is, he goes on to say, he's not just a master of rewards, but he's also a, a master of justice. In verse 9, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So Jesus, he's a master, he sees all things, and he shows no partiality. He is a just master. So whatever is done, and as we look at our motivation for life, we know that there is a master in heaven that shows no partiality. So here the eye is turned away from the slaves and, and their relationship to the master. Has turned on their master and relationship to their slaves. It says, do the same to them. Right, this is that concept of, of how you would want to be treated. Do, do unto them, serving them and loving them as God has loved you. Do unto them. And then also stop your threatening. Right. You don't threaten them anymore. They're, their master is, there's a higher master than you. Right. The motivation here isn't by your threatening. The motivation for anyone should be Jesus Christ and, and how we live our lives. So as we, we look at this passage. And Jesus is the master of our souls. And this impacts how we live. The slave-master relationship, it's an example of the gospel. It's an example of a gospel relationship. As we are slaves unto Christ, just as slaves unto masters, how, how slaves were to serve their earthly masters was a witness to how they were also serving their heavenly master. Right? And then masters, how they treated And interacted with their slaves as an an example of what they believed and witnessed and testified about how Jesus Christ, their master, treats and cares for them, looks after them. So, all this to say, as we think of eternal, let's look with eternal lens and with a spiritual lens as we interact in in lives. So, slaves to, to fear and tremble before. Their masters, as Jesus, to serve and to work as unto Jesus, and masters to to lead and to to show their authority over their slaves as as an example of Jesus unto them. Because we all know that that Jesus changed everything. Of our standing before a holy God. All right, so today we don't we don't have slavery like this. This doesn't exist in our context. There's no, we're not living with someone who's master over me. I'm completely dependent and responsible to him. That doesn't that doesn't happen as much in our context. But what's close probably close to this is is our working environment and and where we work. That's probably our closest analogy that that we have here. And I think this is still profitable to us. So as an employee, and you have chosen to be underneath the authority of your employer and your boss, and you're encouraged to, to serve this authority with fear and trembling as unto the Lord. And you're not laboring to please your boss. You're not only laboring when your boss is looking at at what you're doing, or when someone's watching you, or when you will receive praise. You're constantly laboring because you're working unto the glory of God. God has created us to work, and it is good, and we're working unto the glory of God. And same with masters. Maybe you're an employer, or you're a boss. You have those that are, that are serving underneath you. There shouldn't be a threatening or a, a motivation of, of fear and consequences. And it shouldn't be treating them less than you as well, right? You should desire the best for your employees, for those that are underneath you. You, you want to see them grow and exceed and, and do well. And as they grow and exceed and do well, then you'll continue to grow and exceed and do well and the company will continue to grow and exceed and do well. Employers, seek what's best for your employees. Love them as Christ has loved you and served you. So you serve your employees. And then also, just thinking of us today, if you're working, maybe there's some habits that need to change in the way you're working. Maybe you need to make some adjustments in your life so that you'll be glorifying to God. All right, this, this relationship, if you, maybe for some of you, that you, for whatever reason, you just cannot submit well to your authority or, or respect them or, or honor them. Man, well, you're not called to be living in that workplace necessarily. You have that freedom of where you can leave Leave that authority. Now, that doesn't mean that you just need to go leave your job, but I just want to say there's a freedom there that we have that, that didn't exist in this time. But we are called, with that in mind, you are also called to serve and love. Right? You are a witness and a testimony of the gospel to your workplace. So how are you living in the workplace? Is it to honor God, the one true king? Or is it in your own best interests, and in, in your self-interest? Right? That's what I want us to think through, through this week. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Father, praise you that, that Jesus Christ has purchased us with his blood. That, that we are your sons and daughters, not by anything that we've done, but by the work and blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for any here that, that do not know You as a one true God. That do not know the goodness of a good Master who loves and serves and sacrifices His life that we could be with Him for eternity. Father, I pray that they would turn from their sins, that they would trust in You, the one true God, that they would submit to you as Lord and King of their lives. Father, we long to see that. We long to continue to rejoice as you save and redeem people, bringing them from death to life. So Father, I pray that for anyone here today, Father, that you would save them. And Father, I pray, pray for us. Father, that we would be good witnesses and ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That as we go about our days and work and as we labor, Father, that we labor unto the glory and to the name of Jesus Christ and not unto ourselves or to others. Father, we labor for you, for you have saved us. Father, I pray for any employers today or bosses, Father, that they would live in such a manner, that they would be Christ unto those underneath them. There would be a love and desire for their, their goodness, that they would sacrifice and serve themselves to see those underneath them built up. Father, for that's what you've done for us. Father, may they be an example, and a witness to the greatness of Jesus Christ and the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we praise your holy name and we continue to worship you every day. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.